now we're back. Do you like the sounds of that? Real born? <laughs> I don't know. Real I, Sammy? I feel like there's a lot of pressure being the real Kipper. I'm content just being born. That, uh, that all came about because when I joined up Twitter, everybody came in and... and, and uh, Snapped up your handle? Snapped up my hand. Yes. And then... And and then there was one instance when uh, Sportsnet announced a trade, and they got it from uh, a Nick Kiprios account, Twitter account. Oh no! And they're like, "Did you you just reported this trade?" And I'm like, "No, I didn't." <laughs> well, you also have like a dozen uh, cousins named Nick Kiprios too, don't you? So it's a popular hand. Nick, 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 Gus, Costa, George, Nick, Nick, Nick. Pete Labardius knows all about that. <laughs> <laughs> How are you, Lou? Nick, he's, he, he's good. He's good. He's number one. Never mind. He's the best. You <laughs> for 25. You for 3.25. Is he good? Hi, guys. Great to be on with hey, you. I, 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 I just had lunch at the Danforth. I'm telling you, oh. you, you could have sold three souflakis with that voice. <laughs> Not bad, eh? Not bad bad. at all. How are you? Not bad. I'm excellent, guys. How are you? Good. I was just going to tee up saying that uh, no one knows the Flames or watched them uh, better than you. Uh, So you tell me how you could uh, kick the crap out of the Rangers, lose to the Sharks, Mm -hmm. and then lose to Montreal last night. Everything was going so great for Calgary. What's going on with this little mini slump? Well, I think what's happening, Nick, is I truly feel like they surprised some people early. Um, They played terrific hockey. Their structure was great. They managed the puck really well. Um, Their forecheck was excellent. And then I think some teams started to adjust. One thing, guys, being around this team now for a long time, and I think it's still something that they're trying to get past this team by and large for me has always been more comfortable as the hunter rather than the hunted and they're better i they're off to a pretty good start but they have definitely come off it this week and they've just they've just been okay in the last two games. Now they had points in 10 in a row. So as you guys know, I mean, that wasn't going to continue forever. Last night, I have to give Montreal credit. I thought Suzuki was the best player in the game and he's, he's found it and they made it really difficult for the flames to get to the middle of the rink. And, and they've been a little impatient. They got to get back to moving their feet, being simple getting pucks in behind. I know it's all cliche, but for this group, guys, they need to play as a team. They don't have, in my opinion, true game breakers on this group. So you cannot have nights where there are passengers. And even last night, their their top group, the Lindholm line, they didn't they didn't accomplish anywhere near as much as the Flames would have liked them to. Yeah, they they definitely seem like a team that if they're going to score, they have to get scoring from all throughout the lineup, can't rely on just a couple of guys. 
And this season so far, they have got it, right? They've got uh, some surprisingly good scoring from their depth guys. Tell us about the season Andrew Mangiapane is having. He's got nine goals or something like that so far. Someone mentioned him for Team Canada the other day, which I think, you know, pumped the brakes. But still, what a start. Well, Justin, an incredible start. And if you watch this guy on a regular basis, his work is always exceptional. Um You know, he wins battles. He's not the biggest guy. He's got a low center of gravity. I mean, the goal he scores last night, transferring the puck off his skate to his stick, backhand, top shelf, ninth of the year, leads everybody in the National Hockey League with road goals. I think think this is what happened. Um, You know, he goes over to the World Championships, his first opportunity to play for his country, gets overseas to Latvia, and let's, let's not kid anybody, that whole event turned when he showed up. It really did. They mm-hmm. were not going very well. He ends up being the tournament MVP, seven goals, 11 points. So coming out of that, A, you've learned how to win something for the first time. B, you're exposed to different people in a different scenario, and, and listen, I've had lots of conversations with some Hockey Canada people. They were blown away. And I know it hasn't been completely made public, but I, I was not the least bit surprised. In fact, I knew he was going to be one of the 55 guys on their long list. And he's earned it. And his confidence right now is off the charts. And, and I do. I think he's gotten better every year. But that experience of going to the Worlds, and listen, Nick, don't tell me it doesn't help your confidence as a human when Hockey Canada picks up the phone in September and says, hey, you're on the list. I'm not saying he's going to the Olympics. I'm not saying that, especially with this group of Canadian forwards. But when you start to feel like you're in a different echelon, I think it's a reason why he's playing the best hockey he's ever played. Well, that's that goal that he scored last night. I mean, stupid to 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 move the hands that Ridiculous. quick in such a short period of time. That tells you how good he feels about his chances every time he's yes. near the net, whether or not he thinks he can score or not. This guy expects himself to score, um, right. and when you when you factor in that uh, that kind of that Calgary has that type of scoring, uh, it it should give them the edge to feel like they're not totally relying on three guys here to put the puck in the net. They should have the advantage with a little depth scoring, at least they have in the first 12 games, than Toronto tonight. They're going to have to do a couple of things, as everybody does against Toronto, and, and Toronto, as you guys well know, you're in the heart of it. Has it figured out? They're starting to go well, won six of their last seven. For Calgary, you better check well, and not just in your own zone, in the Leaf zone. Against this Toronto team, you have got to spend time in their zone, and you cannot let the big guys run away and hide on you. In the last couple of seasons, they've done a pretty good job of that in the building. And so if the Flames are able to establish an offensive zone forecheck, and do a good job in the middle of the rink, they'll give themselves a chance. But if they don't, and Toronto, and you feed their transition in the middle, you could have a really, really long night. But you're right. There's some matchups potentially to be won for the Flames down the lineup 
And that's how they have to win games. They really do. Uh, Backlund uh, back and uh, Dylan Dubé on the third line compared to maybe a, a Kasha, Kampf. Now, that line has right. not – that line hasn't scored, but they're not – they do spend some time in the offensive zone. Right. Nick, as you know, the whole thing about the sport is it's it's not always about scoring. It's as a line – can you dominate your opponent and more importantly a lot of times spend time in the offensive zone to set up the next line in a better spot than you were left yourself? I mean, the game really is just a series of shift after shift where you want to leave the next group in a better spot. And, and people don't talk about that in the game enough Because if those guys on your third and fourth lines, if you want to call it that, are spending that time occupying other teams, in certain cases, good players, making them play down there, well then, now I'm getting more offensive zone starts, I can start my best people in their favorite place, and it just, it feeds the game. Like last night, a huge part of the loss for Calgary was Ducharme matches Jake Evans's line against the Lindholm line, and they won the matchup. They clearly won the matchup, and that went a long way to Montreal winning that hockey game. Looking at the uh, Leafs, or sorry, the uh, Flames lineup, there's some names that are having great seasons that maybe were a bit unexpected. Biggest probably Oliver Shillington at this point. What's going on with this guy that they have a the bonafide, you know, sort of top four guy all of a sudden when it didn't look like he might make the team to start the season? Justin, an elite skater who has had to learn how to simplify his game. I remember having a conversation in San Jose a couple of years ago um, with Stockton assistant coach Dominic Pittis. And his description was, Oliver at times can skate himself into trouble with his great feet as he can skate himself out of it. He's become a better defender with his stick. He, he can obviously skate. He is not a good skater. He's an elite skater. He has some offensive instincts. But I think he has finally understood now how you have to play, how consistent you have to play. And it was interesting in, in making this kind of a comparison to Travis Dermott. Well, what I hear about Travis Dermott, and I know Travis has a lot of skills and a lot of tools, but he's been prone, guys, right, to making big mistakes at the wrong time. Mm-hmm. That's kind of what Oliver has been until this year. And make no mistake, Playing with Chris Tanev usually doesn't seem to hurt anyone, and it hasn't hurt Oliver either. Lou, uh, we're going to get Vladar tonight, right? Correct? I think. Are you? But nobody's nobody's written off on it that I've seen yet. Now, uh, is is that just a a no-brainer for you, or coming off of uh, two losses now, Hall of Fame game, Pretty hot Toronto Maple Leaf team with four sharpshooters going right now. Uh, would you go back to Markstrom? Well, he's played seven in a row. You know, he's been as good as anyone in the league. Tough game winner he gives up from behind the end line last night. 
This is a tough one for me, Nick. It really is. And it won't surprise me either way. Um, you know, because I always think there's times if you feel like a goalie's coming off it, that he might need just a bit of a break to reset. Now, you'd love to have Jacob play, but the other thing is, you know, that can happen sometimes is you put a young guy in, you know against this Leaf team that you've got to check at a high, high level. You can't afford to make mistakes because you don't have the same kind of confidence that you have in your main guy. So I'll be as interested as you guys. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not sure which way they're going to go, but, but neither way would surprise me. How's Matthew Kachuk's season been there? I've been following along pretty closely with this team, and you know the talk early it's Goudreau and it's Lindholm, and you know talking about those depth guys, Mangiapane and, and Shillington. What, what's Kachuk's situation this year? Eleven points in thirteen games. How, how's he been? I would say he's been split down the middle, Justin. Mm-hmm. Um, he's had some great games. I, I thought he was brilliant against the Rangers on Saturday, and not just because of the four points. Um, it's been very up and down. When he's been good, he's been great. But the thing for Matthew is this. He has to be in the thick of it. And when Matthew moves his feet, which sometimes, you know, he's not, he's not a great skater by any stretch. But when he is engaged and moves his feet and gets to good spots, he's miserable to deal with. So he's had some great games. And then, yes, he probably has been the third best guy on that line on a lot of other nights. But, you know, they need him to be that guy more often than he's been over the last couple of seasons. He's got one more year. The cap hit is seven, but his salary is nine. Is it? a foregone conclusion that this guy is just going to be a, a Calgary flame for a lot of years, or is this, is this still kind of open ended here for Matthew Kachuk on whether or not ultimately he will remain a Calgary flame? Well, Nick, as you know, the qualifying offer for next year is 9 million. And then he'd have an opportunity after that season to be, you know, an unrestricted free agent when you're dealing with Craig Oster and the Kachucks, they're very good at business as we all know. (laughs) And they've been at it for a long time. Um, And Matthew too. (laughs) Matthew's as savvy about business as any young player I've ever dealt with in my long career. No, no, as is dad. He doesn't miss much. Uh, Dad didn't miss that boat. And I remember dealing with him in Winnipeg at 21 years old. There's not, not a lot of difference there. Matthew, this is a big year for Matthew in a lot of different ways. No, I don't don't think it is a foregone conclusion. Uh, I think this is a year that, you know, if he truly establishes himself, if you're going to pay somebody $9 million or more, I can't have any questions. I can't have any questions about your consistency, what level you're at, and most importantly, is Calgary where you want to be long-term? Yeah. That's big for me. That's big for me. I got to be honest with you, Pete. I I thought this was the summer that uh, between Johnny Hockey and and Monaghan and maybe one or two others, this was the the offseason that one of them was going. I was... 
I was expecting a bit of a, a change of the culture. It didn't happen. Did a good start here completely take the pressure off of that? Or is it still, once again, as we said, open-ended? I think it's, I think it's open-ended, but I think it's better. And I think it's better, Nick, because there is no question right now who is in charge. And that's Daryl Sutter. And they're, you know, Daryl is hard. He's demanding. Um, he expects a lot. And there's one message for those players, and it's coming from him. And, you know, so far, it's, it's paid dividends. But, you know, this trip, in many ways, I think, is going to have a lot to say about this team going forward. Yeah, going to be fascinating to see. Um, you know, with the Hall of Fame weekend going on, I wanted to get your take on Jerome McGinley. And, you know, you, I'm sure you spent a lot of time watching him, as uh, many of, of us did. Uh, if you have any memories of him or anything that stood out to you from what was a wonderful career as a Calgary Flame. Well, I have lots, Justin. Um, I was lucky enough to call his 1,000th point in St. Louis. It was pretty special to have an opportunity on Sportsnet Television to do that. I've been watching him since he was a 16-year-old member of the Kamloops Blazers. And, um, you know, I was in Salt Lake City for his great performance in 2010 or in 2002 and then 2010 and so many incredible nights that I was able to watch and call his games a, a class act, a player just truly driven to be the best he could be day in and day out. Just saw him here the other day. He's coaching the rank Academy at a tournament here in Calgary, the Rocky Mountain Classic, and he's got a couple of kids that are okay too. So uh, I'm delighted for him. He's beloved here and, uh, that's a pretty good class going in this weekend. Mm -hmm. A guy that you envision once he's comfortable uh, could get back in the game. President GM yeah. running Calgary yes. one day. Maybe. Yep. Yep. I could abs. I, I think whatever Jerome sets his mind to Jerome is going to do. And, and I think that has been one of his greatest attributes for as long as I could remember when he is focused on what he wants, he knows how to get it. Last question for uh, the flames division there for, for me here is, is, you know, who do you think in that division are the cream of the crop going into it? It looked uh, a little bit different. You know, Vegas seemed like they were the team. Now Alberta sort of take, taken over Seattle's off to a not very good start. What are your thoughts in the Pacific division? Well, because of the injuries in Vegas, um, you know, I can't even properly evaluate them. They're going to stay in the hunt. I don't think there's any question about that. I think the California teams have surprised a lot of people. I think the division is becoming more competitive than a lot of people thought. I'm not saying it's, you know, a better division than the others. I, I would say right now that Edmonton is probably the cream of the crop. And, you know, when they added Zach Hyman this summer, it's one of the first times that I went, uh-oh, these guys mm -hmm. might become really difficult. And then I wondered how Duncan Keith would fit in and if he and Cody Cece could hold up their end of the bargain on the top four. I know that the goaltending is still obviously in question, but that's – they're – they're for me today, 
the best team. Now, when Vegas gets healthy again, I I still think they're a terrific team. And then I then I see a real battle, Calgary, a um, couple of California teams possibly. I still think there's more in the tank from Vancouver too than they've shown. Hey, Lou, I, I know you cover Calgary, but people really comparing the Matthew Kachuk between the legs goal to Connor McDavid's really no 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 thank you no no if if you were going to compare one like the goal the other day by matthew was was fun against the rangers the greatest matthew kachuk goal that he has ever scored was a couple of thanksgiving or halloweens ago against the predators nashville he went top shelf in overtime from about 20 feet away through his legs now that was an exceptional goal yes yeah I agree. The one against the Rangers, okay. Maybe you have twenty guys a chance to do that in front of the net. They'll they'll get it. But Sammy, our yep. producer's not happy with you, Kipper. Connor, because Sammy, uh, our producer, loved uh, Matthew Kachuk's goal. Let me just get out from under the bus over here <laughs> while you drive it over yes. me, Kip. But Sammy's in g- generally a cheesy guy too. So I mean. Well, it's, it's, it's okay. It's okay. <laughs> you know, if, if, if you're Greek, you even light up the cheese. Yes, you do. Opa. Hey, one, hey, I, I know you guys got to run, but one quick one for Justin, who I, I admire his work. I haven't really had any chance to spend time, but I wanted to say this to you today. Yeah. I'm, from, I'm from Saskatoon, and your father, who was one of my childhood heroes growing up watching the Blades, is is in many ways one of the reasons I fell in love with this sport and helped pave the way to what's been a pretty um, unbelievable run for nearly 40 years. I, really I loved, cool. I loved watching your father play and and became an Islander fan because they had so many Western Canadian guys that I grew up watching with my own two eyes, but. Oh, man. I, I loved old number 12 back at the old Saskatoon <laughs> Arena. So I, wanted I, I wore the to, number I myself. share that with you. Well, uh, thanks so yeah, much. That, that means a lot. You, Lou, you, you can't make us cry on this show, Lou. <laughs> no. We, you know what? We still have so much love for Saskatchewan, too. I've got all my family still in Saskatoon. Um, nothing yeah. but love for that part of the world. So thanks yeah. so much. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, you're welcome. Pete Labardius, thanks for joining us. Enjoy the All-Star, or uh, not All-Star. Okay, I mean, it's Friday. They're all-stars. Just They're a all lot. All-stars. Many-time all-stars. Hall of Fame weekend, pal. I got all-star okay. weekend on my mind because of the Matthew Kachuk goal. That's what I had. <laughs> Skills competition. Thanks, Thanks for Pete. having me, guys. Pete Labardius. An absolute pleasure. On Hall of Fame weekend. Mm-hmm. That's so touching what he said about your dad. That is. That's awesome. Um, you know, I I will say I get I get that fairly often from people from Saskatchewan, a lot, a lot of love for the Prairie boys and all that. So it's pretty cool that those Islander teams are so heavily Prairie influenced. Very cool. A lot of love for the Prairies. And there's something about junior hockey communities that like guys that play really well for junior hockey teams yeah. really leave a mark. Like I have like guys in own sound, like that are beloved there that are just kind of weird, random guy. not saying like your dad, your dad's a great player, but just like guys that you wouldn't even think of that are just beloved in certain towns all over Canada. Oh, so like I love this that. guy in North Bay. I, yeah. I go up to North Bay. I'm getting 20% off a of Cortina's oh, yeah. pizza <laughs> for sure. And accepting it by the way. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which, I don't know. <laughs> 
No, it's true. Because the guy behind the counter saying, my grandfather loved you. <laughs> yeah, or I, I heard of you from him. You know what I got to wear in? My dad's got this old Saskatoon Blades leather, blue leather jacket from back in the day. Bring it in. Great, great gear. Bring it in. So, yeah, you no, love it. there's just a, there's a, it's a thing, very uniquely Canadian thing. That's like the community that the relationship that junior hockey players have with the community and special, it, right? It really is. It's so awesome. That, I, I love that from Lou. That that must form your heart. It feels good. Yeah. All right. Let's take a quick break and we'll track down Kevin Lowe. We'll see if he recovered off of uh, the banner uh, banner raising uh, uh, the, earlier this week in Edmonton. If he's got anything left oh, for those, this weekend, those boys like to go. All right. We're coming right back after the break. Real Kipper and Born Sportsnet 590, the fan. Big Hall of Fame weekend. Big one for our next guest, Kevin Lowe. Six Stanley Cups. I was pretty good. Kind of happy just to sneak in one with him. <laughs> That's all I needed. That's all I got. Very happy for it. Joining us now, Kevin Lowe. Are, are you okay? Is it, did they leave you any energy for this weekend off your, uh, your banner night? In Edmonton? <laughs> yeah, no, at 62, you know, I don't quite have the stamina that I did back in the 90s when we were winning cups in New York. But, uh, no, I got a little room left in me for uh, this weekend. Pretty special, pretty special time and have lots of family and friends here. And pumped for the Leafs game tonight. I thought I'd never say that, but uh <laughs> be fun to be introduced out there. And, uh, yeah, just I'm actually pumped to be traveling again and actually – First time in Ontario since the pandemic started, so uh, pretty cool to be back in Toronto. You've, like I've said, you've won six cups, and yet you know it's 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 sometimes hard. You know, even if you win one, to kind of really absorb it and really have it soak in what what it means, because you're so in the here and now, or either you're looking at the immediate future. But is it still? Have you learned anything from winning all those cups to to really? enjoy the here and now of, of a week like now, or is it just still something that has to kind of set in and maybe a year from now or two years from now, it might feel a little better. Are, are you able to really truly soak it in while you're worried about everybody coming into town and, and worrying about <laughs> hotel arrangements and stuff like that, Losey? Yeah. Tickets and all that stuff. No, it's good. I've, I've, uh, you know, I've been fortunate to be, a, you know, not, this, I've been to the Hall of Fame weekend before. Now, obviously, the first time coming is someone's going in. So, been around it. I've been to a bunch of Olympics and Stanley Cup playoffs. So, certainly know how to marshal my crowd around and uh, take care of them. And that, but a lot of the guys I talked to that are Hall of Famers, they said really try not to do you know too much stuff. Just really sit back and and enjoy it with your family. And um, that's what we're doing so far. Um, the um, you know the the Hall of Fame is such a special thing. Uh, we're 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 a little bit blessed this class because you know we've been it pending since uh, since uh, well June of 2020. So uh, no other class is being voted in 21. So we're uh, we get to be the the Hall of Famers going in for two years. So it's was a couple of us had to wait a long time. Dougie Wilson and I uh, uh, almost 20 years. So uh, we're getting our uh, we're getting our money's worth. 
Yeah, you know, it was really special seeing all you guys together, um, you know, your your banner night there. Uh, I just got the sense that night that everyone felt a, a connection to this Oilers team, and we, we do want to focus on you and your career, but I just want to get the sense for how the alumni felt watching Connor McDavid uh, put up that goal, for you know, tie it, win, they win at 6-5. What was the reaction like from you guys watching this iteration of McDavid and the Oilers? Probably the same thing you and everybody else thought. That was friggin' amazing. <laughs> yeah. like, just friggin' amazing. And, uh, yeah, it was really uh, – I got to uh, really thank Connor for making my night uh, that much more special. I, he sent me a nice message after and, uh, you know, complimented uh, Mac T and, and Simmer and myself spoke before and, uh, uh, you know, said a lot of good things. But really, you know, being in the business – for all these years, everything's the beer's better, the popcorn's better, the hot dogs are better when the team's winning. And uh, so, uh, to your point, uh, it really put a exclamation point on the whole night for us. And really, just could, couldn't believe it when the team was coming back. And then when he scored that goal, it was they'll, they'll people remember perhaps my banner raising because they'll say, you know, remember that goal McDavid scored? <laughs> Someone else was going on that night. I don't know what it was, but uh, yeah. Pretty cool. You played a lot of years. Uh, did you come close to a, a, a Connor McDavid moment? Because we know you're not getting in for your stats. Um, and by the way, I, I did notice for the first time, uh, you did score 26 goals uh, in junior hockey with the yeah. Ramparts. 26, Losey. What happened? Yeah. yeah, my last year, yeah. Well, that they, they played with no goalies that year. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, no, no, I, I got some sneaky stats. Like, I scored six points in a game. Um, I scored two shorthanded goals in one in the Stanley Cup final playoff series against the Flyers. Um, so, but it, it kind of ends there. No, my probably most notable goal was in game three of the first Cup final in 1984. And, yeah, snap it up. Uh, when you get a look at it, let me know. It's uh, I came down the wing. Uh, Glennie Anderson fed me, and I froze. I had one-on-one with Billy Smith, froze him, pulled it to my backhand, tucked it in the wide-open net, and, yeah, it was a pretty good goal. It it will be harder moving forward as the competition just grows with so many players now, so many teams in the league. It it just gets harder and harder. But do we still have to acknowledge players that played your style that don't necessarily have the, the points or... Or is yep. it just inevitable that we're going to get away from, you know, a, a stay-at-home defenseman uh, to to be a Hall of Famer? Well, I you know I had to wait. I, I don't know if it's nineteen or twenty years. Uh, not that I shouldn't say wait. It's not like I was waiting, but uh, that's how long it took from the time I retired to being inducted. You know, I think the these things go in cycles. You know, I I think Key Carbono going in a couple years ago. Uh, wasn't a really uh, offensive uh, producer like most guys going in. So he kind of, that was maybe a bit of it. Rod Langway was probably the best example for me, uh, you know, being in the Hall of Fame. But, you know, relative to defensive guys um, or or defensive first guys, like I guess I was, or I was, you know, Jacques Lemaire had a saying and, and, uh, which is brilliant. Uh, you know, in, in hockey, there's there's two nets. There's two nets, and both equally as important. It's just one, one's a little harder to quantify. And um, so, 
I guess when when people when Hall of Fame selection committees go to vote, they got to see what at the end of the day, what's the ultimate goal is to win the Stanley Cup. Well, you don't win the Stanley Cup by just scoring goals. Somebody's got to be able to stop them, and and uh, hopefully more people will get recognized. Uh, that that obviously you have to have the cups with it and a whole bunch of other things, but recognize people are more defensive minded. Kevin, on your banner night, I think someone had like had a thesaurus out for the the versions of tenacious. We heard tenacious and ferocious <laughs> and intense, and you know all these words that were competitive and and even uh, nasty a little bit, which is a massive compliment, particularly a compliment to guys who played when you did. And I wonder how you've seen, you know, being a part of the game all these years, that element changes a level of importance in the NHL. It's such a rare commodity now and guys, they, you know, teams love it when they can find it. Uh, where do you place the importance of that element of ferocity in the NHL today compared to when you played? Well, I mean, Kip's sitting there beside you. I don't think you'd think I was a particularly ferocious guy, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I did. I mean, I, I hated to lose. I was ultra competitive. I didn't, you know, I didn't really back down from anyone in terms of going in the corners. I mean, I certainly wasn't going to fight a Tim Hunter or a Terry O'Reilly, any of those types of guys. But my game was, you know, I didn't fight much. It was more, I was just willing to do anything and, and, and everything to, and my body, you know, uh, no issues in terms of throwing my body at things and, and just playing competitively, but also, you know, if I was moving a guy out in front of the net, you know, I was, I'd do whatever I had to to get a guy out. And, um, yeah, so I don't, I mean, you know how things change, you know, folklore comes and I think guys play my ear and go, well, I don't think he was really that tough. I mean, I wasn't <laughs> a tough guy, but, no. but when, you know, when the, when the, when the game was on the line, I'd do anything, anything I had to, anything possible to win the hockey game. I'll tell you this one story where we're, we're going back to Edmonton as Rangers yeah. and we just finished warm up. We're coming off. <laughs> Kevin Lowe's coming off the ice. I'm right behind him. And an Edmonton Oiler fan chirps him. Losey stops and starts chirping back at him with <laughs> vicious words right back at him. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I'm sitting there going, Welcome home. Didn't, didn't, <laughs> didn't you live here once and win five Stanley Cups? Who's that all? idiot then? Am, am I wrong to think that you played here once? But that it's all about the here and now, and it's all about uh, the next cup. You know, Lozy, we just talked about, uh, you know, you talked about McDavid a little bit, and here in Toronto you got the Matthews and the Marners and uh, Steve Thomas was on earlier and he said that maybe just it would be nice if there was just a few guys in the room that have won before to kind of help them and show them. And I'm just not sure if it's possible anymore in, in, in a salary cap era to have that luxury. But when you kind of compare maybe your first Stanley Cup to having, you know, a few superstars in the room, I'm not sure, you know, if, if, if you had that voice of that, that cup voice back then, or, or you young guys just had to learn it on your own. And is that what's going to happen to the Matthews and the Marners of the world or, or McDavid's and dry Yeah. I mean, that's a good question, but I think it's really important that you do have a couple guys around, but it depends on what, you know, where you are in your expectations. In other words, I mean, those guys are all still pretty young. I know, I'm sure Leaf fans are like Oilers fans. They want to see, 
you know, a cup right away. Um, but uh, in our case, no, we didn't. We didn't really have that guy. But we also had, you know, we had a couple of playoff uh, disappointments, and then we got to the Stanley Cup Finals, and we got right back to the finals the next year. So, you know, we learned, I guess, uh, um, we, you know, we, we learned on our own without having any experienced uh, Stanley Cup guys. However, once, you know, we had won a bunch, I think in particularly the f- number five, in Edmonton after Wayne had gone to Los Angeles. And then Kip, you were there in New York uh, in, uh, in 94, like just having guys that were not that we were big contributors overall uh, to the, the team pecking over at that point. Uh, and when I'm saying we, I mean, Mac T and myself and Glenn Anderson, most notably, but you could tell that we were calm demeanor around the room. We didn't get, you know, too uptight about anything. And it, that it's, that makes a big difference when you have, we have guys like that that have been through it. We're okay, boys. Just keep, you know, keep plugging away. It's going to be okay. Um, it makes a big difference if you can get those guys. Um, I, I like when Kenny Holland grabbed Duncan Keith, you know, um, not that necessarily anyone's picking the orders for winning the cup in the off season. They sure look like they've, they're going to be uh, a threat this year around, but it just, it's the beginning, right? The beginning of the pieces. And then, you maybe try to g- grab another guy at the trade deadline if you can. Like the Rangers did that year, getting, you know, McTavish and Anderson made, you know, those guys were good contributors to an already strong team and, and, and probably, you know, went a long way to the Rangers winning a first cup in 54 years. Kevin, I'm curious about some of the unsung guys that might have played at the bottom of those those rosters. You know, we, we look now and we see, you know, the greats get brought back to celebrate the Cups and it's Gretzky and it's Messi and, Messier and Curry and yourself and Mac T and a lot of those guys. Um, you know, I, I know we've got a family friend of, of ours, Dave Simanko, um, you know, yep. rest his soul. And some of the other players that you guys uh, would have had in those teams, do any stand out to you as players that maybe won't have their uh, their names raised to the banners but made a huge impact on a cup or two? Oh, you know, tons of them, tons of them. When you win five, there's tons of them. Sure. They're all, I mean, I, I, I'd be remiss uh, not to mention them all, but, you know, you mentioned Samank, big part. Kevin McClellan, huge, huge contributor. Um, uh, Dave Hunter in the earlier years, Pat Hughes, Kenny Lindsman. Not that Kenny was a, you know, Kenny was a top player that sort of played all over, but, mm-hmm. uh, oh, I could, uh, Mark Lamb, you know, came in as a fourth liner, ended up being our number one center in the 1990 Cup year. Uh, Kelly Buckberger. Uh, there's, you know, I could... If you give me a little more time, I could probably name another twenty. But those those players are all very good players um, that were happy to play their part on on a, on an opportunity to win a cup. And it just doesn't fall there uh, when you think about coaching staffs and people behind the scenes that don't get recognized. I mean, the calmness, even for you guys, to have someone like uh, Glenn Sather, who I'm sure needed you know have an almost genius mentality to manage you guys at that young age give you enough but not too much in many ways like a parent yeah he he was i mean our coaching staff was 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 really uh played a huge part i mean i i say this often you know the biggest misconception about the 80s oilers was that they won cups simply on talent. And that, that's not true at all. We, you know, the big difference between the 83 finals loss to the Islanders and the 84 
finals win um, um, for the Oilers over the Islanders, back-to-back years playing one another, was, besides the fact that the Islanders were getting a little long in the tooth and, and getting tired from being in the finals so often, is that we became a more structured team in, in the 84 final. And we used that template for, for the years to come. And, and, you know, short of that, we maybe don't win. And, you know, none of certainly Gretz is in the Hall of Fame and some of the others, but certainly a guy like I'm not, and, you know, maybe an Anderson's not, were there because we won a lot of cups. But we were a very structured, well-coached team, uh, and, and the success was far beyond the talent. Well, listen, we really appreciate your time. We're going to let you go because uh, you get some rest because uh, it's it's just beginning right now for you this <laughs> weekend. Come to town. Fire it up. Hey, I'll come and find you somewhere, Losey. Thanks for doing this. Hey, guys, my pleasure. Kipper, great to talk to you again, man. Okay, man. Kevin Lowe, everybody, Hall of Famer, well-deserved. Oh, yeah, man, legend. I mean, I mean, you can't be a part of six Stanley Cups without just being an exceptional player and a player as a contributor, and obviously he's uh, respected as, as such by his peers. Well, I don't think we'll ever see any type of consistency and longevity like we did. Uh, the cap won't allow it. But for a team like that, for yeah. For a team like that, and, you know, your family's history with the Islanders. 19 playoff rounds. They won in a row. Crazy. <laughs> Isn't that nuts? Crazy. I know. Here in Toronto, it's like if they win one, the place is going to come unglued. They won 19 in a row. Look at Sammy right there, and that's all he's just praying for is just one, one in a row. Give me one, one in a row, baby. win would be huge. Six cups. Who's the next guy that's going to win six cups? You don't think Matthews? No. <laughs> six Stanley uh, Cups is an unbelievable number. It, it is. really What's is. What's Sid at? Three? Three, yep. yeah. He's, he, 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 it's it's passed him by, yeah. yeah. Unless he goes to Colorado, wins three. Chicago, Kent. Yeah, no. Not right. anytime soon. L.A., nope. not anytime soon. Not anyone uh, tracking towards six cups. That's crazy. But for the Leafs to get one, Sammy, I yes. believe you had a clip you were going to play oh, for us uh, yeah. well, to, we, to talk, talk some hockey. Well, we're going to this the weekend, you know, two games back-to-back. So, you know what that comes up on? That comes up Gold on the goaltending conversation. And Sheldon Keefe was asked about it this morning. Let's hear that clip now, Josh. We're going to focus on today. Jack's going to play today. and you know, we, we have a plan, of, of course, but we'll wait till we have all the information before we execute that. But we're just going to focus on tonight's game. What does that mean? Well, it means that, like, we had a plan last time we had a back-to-back game, and we ended up with a big pie in our face. <laughs> so, therefore, I'm not saying a word about it this weekend. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to. I think that's gonna... what I got out of that clip. I don't know about you guys. He sounded, I don't know, he just sounded a little shaky talking about it. Like, he didn't, like, he really had no idea. They got a plan that they're like, going to execute? I feel like Dubas didn't no, know. The way, he's, he's, the way he talked about it, I feel like Dubas hasn't told him or all, something. No, all he's saying is, I got to win tonight. I'm playing my best goalie. I'll worry about tom- tomorrow, tomorrow. This is literally the flip of what happened earlier in yes. the season where and he was God. like. A hundred percent. Yeah. So they're just like, we're just going to. He got burned. Worry about this one. He got burned last back to back where they ended up with goose eggs. And he's not falling for it again. This is learning on the job. Sheldon becoming Babcock slowly but surely, guys. Get the two points. Yep. (laughs) We don't have the drop, but I thought I'd do it there. Pretty good, actually. Yeah, thanks. So so we think it's Hutch, but it's all Hutch tomorrow night. Not going to be Wall. Well, uh, I don't know. He's got a plan, and they're just going to worry about executing that, Sam. 
and, and if, if, they, if, he, if they stick to a, a plan somewhat of what they've projected, it should be Hutchinson. Not Wool. In Buffalo. You play your third goalie on your depth chart. How about the, the Leafs getting Calgary on a back-to-back tonight and then they get Buffalo also on a back-to-back tomorrow, if I'm not mistaken. Buffalo is Edmonton, Edmonton tonight. tonight. Yeah. That's all right. Yeah, that works. Yeah, you'll lean into that well, a little we, bit. Well, we, we talked about this yesterday. It's uh, They got to make hay right now. Yeah. it's a, It's been a very good schedule for them. Well, here's another weekend where it's it's on a platter for them. Just got to go get it. Um, what did you guys uh, make? Uh, speaking of Edmonton, mm-hmm. uh, what did you make out? Uh, John Tortorella had some comments that I think kind of stirred it up a little bit uh, in terms of McDavid and maybe expectations and the difference between maybe a regular season and the playoffs. Yeah, and he, he complained about it a little bit. He wasn't getting the calls. I, I you know, quite honestly, and I, I hope I say it correctly, just shut up. Yeah. Don't talk about it. Okay. I do think he has to change his game a bit, uh, not, not turn into a checko, obviously. But right. He's talked about culture. He's talked about standards. He's talked about winning. You're, you're not going to outscore. You're not just going to fill the net during playoffs and outscore teams. Mm-hmm. You have to play on the other side of the puck. You have to have uh, that business-type attitude of you're not, you're, nothing's going to bother me, no matter how, you, how you're going to check me. Don't talk about it. Just play hard, play through it. But the other side of the puck is that important, too, come playoff time. Mm. I think he's learning. Tip's going to have to get that whole group. If they're talking about a Stanley Cup, they're all going to have to play a little bit a different way and not just try to outscore team. If there's any doubt about how that guy talks to and about his players behind the scenes, he'll let you know. Like, Dubois was feeling it in Columbus, right? Mm-hmm. He's not afraid to tell these stars um, what to do. So what did you make of that, Kipper? That he's not wrong on a lot of things. No. All he did was just piss everybody off because he told Connor McDavid to just shut up. I will say there's a lot that's, of people on the internet scoring points right now, being like, "Let Connor be Connor." That's 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 the one where it, it bothered a lot of people. I think was I, yeah. was the shut up part. But I, I think there was, like you said, there's he said a lot of things right. He there. said a lot of things right. He's not wrong when it comes to style of play. And as a fan, did I not? marvel at that goal like everybody else yes do i think i'm gonna see a goal like that in may no yeah so you got a much better chance to see it in the first week uh, of november than you do may court, co- uh, conference final stanley cup final right. they, tortorella's right it, it dries up yeah okay and style of play changes and if he wants to go and try to score those goals because he thinks that's what he's paid to do, there's a there's a good chance that it it won't work. The percentages will tell you that goal's not there in May like it would be on an April or on a November night. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot. Yeah, I, I agree with you there. And, and looking on Twitter when that quote first came out, there's a lot of people that were like. You know, let Connor do his thing, and Connor's going to be just fine, and don't worry about Connor, you know, because, of course, he affects things offensively a great deal and negatively, or does does well in his D zone, yada, yada. I, I can tell you for sure that yeah. e- even a guy like Dave Tippett yeah. would, would look at that, that. goal and, and say, yeah, it's great, it's great for the league, it's great for social media and all of that, but 
Right, but that goal aside, I mean, his general style of play is what's a criticism. We're we're not going to win a cup if four guys might as well just be sitting in the front row and watching Connor go one on four. Yes. That's really the point John Tortorella is making here. Yeah. That those goals do not win you Stanley Cups. Right. No doubt about that. That is a that that's not a part of the I, game plan. I think the the philosophical argument here is that the way the game is called in the playoffs and how the game changes so much in the playoffs, if that's the correct thing. I think a lot of people, you know, whenever the the playoffs start, it's kind of this Twitter, you know, fun thing to clown on the officiating and talk about how, oh, you know, that's not a penalty or how this isn't a penalty or whatever. And the game's changed in the playoffs for 100 years. It's always the way it is. But I think philosophically, people get a little better to shape about the way the game's called in the playoffs. And I, I, I don't necessarily want it to change. Well, that's, that's, a, that's a different... For sure, but I think that's what a lot of this comes back to. Well, I think it the comes way it changes to breaking the puck out or to leaving the zone without the hockey puck, which is something McDavid does. I think it's the idea of being critical of someone who's so exceptional at what he does. But the the, the guys that know that they want or need their cookies will take calculated risks. Nylander's another one for sure. He Keep is. an eye on that guy blowing the zone. Uh. A little too early, but that's what he thinks he's going to have to do to get his. That's what I think Tortorella's criticism is. Is about changing the, the his style of play, not about complaining about. But I understand he mentions the uh, complaining about the uh, penalties, the calls, the calls on him. But to me, it's a style of play thing where I think you, you you know Tiger Woods had a swing coach. These the best players can get better in every sport, and I think Tortorella's saying he's someone who needs to pay attention to the other side of the puck. Yeah, and which is true. Of course, like his defensive play is not. You know, it's not Matt, a focus, that, that's, that's what, it, but yeah, but that's what people have always said. The difference between him and Matthews is, is that Matthews is a better defensively. Maybe not this year, but like that's one thing that Matthews does to kind of, you know, and this is the Crosby Ovechkin argument before them, hundred percent. But I mean, I, I think a lot of it has to do with you know the way that the game is played, called in the playoffs, and people getting upset about that. And it's just a whole, it's a whole conversation. We, people we hate have, when they get mad about the stars, and people hate. We points. have a general argument all the time about the way the game's called and the officiating and the standards. It's just, it draws so much more attention on the best player in the world. Yeah. But, you know, he's also got the puck on his stick a lot more than any other player. And he's like 50th in the league and drawing penalties, which is ridiculous. He's really low. Yeah. And we have a hard game and we made it a lot harder when we added another official because now... You've got two guys that can set a tone or a standard that may not have the same that tone or standard. That might not have the same tone or standard. So one, point. it's it's it. We're kind of set up sometimes to fail too, and it's Boston and Edmonton. Pretty big game, big stars, really hard. I think they had two young officials in there. One's a. a Bob Halkidis, a friend of mine out of Toronto, his son's now officiating, offici- uh, officiating in the National Hockey League. Huge, but young. Mm-hmm. And I think he, they also had another young guy. To come in now and, and, and now officiate a game with Connor in it and Brad Marchand and Bergeron, future Hall of Famer, that was tough on them. I, I, I saw the first penalty on Dreisaitl. Uh, I don't want that call. <laughs> no. I don't want that call. A little collision in the neutral zone. But mm-hmm. it is very difficult. We we have 
an, an officiating issue here. In, it's a tough sport to officiate. We don't have a lot of them coming up. There's not many kids that want to go into a, a referee now. So it's hard now. But okay. our, our, it's, it's not going to change. So, again, to Tortorella's point, instead of just constantly whining about it, just... Like just you get there's there's a certain point where you just have to accept it. I just don't see Connor McDavid as someone who whines about it. I you know I I talked to a couple oh. of people who said that yeah you think he does yeah, yeah. listen he's one of the best he's the fastest most electric guy in the league with the puck all the time like, he takes you, ten you, times the abuse you can still work an official over on a next call that will always happen and he's already doing it internally and not Crosby to get a whiner? not not to get he used to be. Listen, all of all of the greats had reputations Gretzky for whining. Sure did. Gretzky, Lemieux, Sid Early. Because they're wearing guys all game long, and it's annoying. Yeah. So, like I said, you got two officials out there. What happens if one has a, a little bit of a weak call? Does he go in his head, I owe the other team a weak call? Or you just can't just, say it on a hot mic. But just a, but, but you know what's going on. <laughs> yeah. You know it. it it's yeah, oh, you say it, it on the bench. To. You sit on the bench, like, boys, we can't do anything. We're up next. You're like, you know it's your team getting the next if, call. If you know in the back of your mind you're you're an official and, and you've started the game on a weak call, you 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 got like fifty minutes now to go, eh, I owe them a weak call too. <laughs> This is a Burke. Brian Burke always talks about setting the standard with the first call, which I never something I I would have thought about, but I guess it's. A I, I buy it. We got yeah. a we got a t- we got a text here that's kind of relevant to what we were talking about. It says, "Hey guys, maybe Torts has a point. McDavid has won a total of one playoff series in seven years. Ruben in Alberta. So I think there's a little bit of unfairness there in terms of the, the teams he's had. Mm-hmm. But it, when he has been in the playoffs, he hasn't had a ton of success. So doesn't it remind you of LeBron with the Cavaliers? And it's like, what more do you want him to hey, they, do? They went to the finals. So well, I mean, yes, that's fair. Was it four straight years or something? Yeah, but basketball is it's, a completely different kettle yeah. of fish. It's just a, it's an old trick that's been in the game forever, and it's not going anywhere anytime soon. And that's you work the official for the next call. Yeah, well, that's, that's all refs or your coaches are doing. No one is saying undo the call you just made. It's let's be clear that we're on the wrong side of the calls so far for yeah. the next one. And let's be honest here too about why there's a lot of internet backlash to what was said. It's who said it. It's torts. It's torts. Well, if I came on here and said Connor McDavid should shut up, uh, it might get some back- backlash. You think? I think perhaps Maybe. a bit. So you want to say it now? <laughs> I do not. All right, I'll get that on social. Uh, <laughs> Justin Bourne says no. I'll yeah. give you a good clean clip here. <laughs> uh, coming down in three? Yeah. But, no, but I listen, the one call last night was bad. The one that they missed that everyone's talking about. He does a nice little through the legs toe drag, gets around his man. Buddy sticks his, his, his stick right between his leg. He goes down. Ref, he's staring right at it. It's, it's a tough optics for an already big narrative. So God, could you sound any more Canadian sometimes? Yeah, Buddy gets his stick in there and he just hauls him right down. Jeez, I tell you. Well, <laughs> from, you know, from uh, central Ontario. Don't know what to tell you, buddy. And if you're blocked, if there's a, you don't get a great look at it in a split second, you don't call it. Yeah. That's simple for these guys. I think you'd rather miss a call than make a call that wasn't there, right? Absolutely. So, should should we talk turnovers? You guys want to hear hear some? Oh yeah, I do. I'll do this. Yes. All right. So I, I solicited some information from Sport Logic on turnovers. Do we think the Leafs turn the puck over a lot? Right? They do. They turn over the puck uh, most in the NHL, which is a lot. 
So they're sorry, they they're thirty first in the NHL in total turnovers, thirty second in offensive zone turnovers. But it's like the McDavid, if if you have the puck most often than not, yep. you're gonna have a higher number. Right, that's exactly it. So So if you're gonna have if you're gonna be Connor McDavid have the puck, you are gonna be in a position to have some non calls on you. <laughs> no, you're right. He's he's also one of the league leaders in turnovers, as is Austin Matthews. So I give you those numbers so everyone is saying, See, I told you, I told you. However, the Leafs are actually eighth best team in terms of turnover rate. Like in, in, compared to how often they have the puck, they almost never turn it over. They're the best team in the NHL through the neutral zone. First place in turnovers. They only turn it over like 6% of the time. So they, they have, in the last few years, they've really cleaned up their, their neutral zone. And I think they lead the NHL or top three in yes. ozone possession because they don't turn it over in the neutral no, zone. No, they do find ways to get the puck in deep. They, Isn't that wild? Uh, I said last year, I said, I'm watching them and they're like... Uh, they're a dump and chase team when they need to be a dump and chase team. They seem to have a good sense for when to run it back, when to put it in. They, they, they're yep. really good through the middle, which is a real strength of this team. So that's something to watch. So let's talk individual players. Uh, we'll do turnover rate. Sammy, who do you have uh, among Toronto Maple Leafs forwards as maybe the best couple and the worst couple guys by prediction here? I think Tavares is going to be one of the worst. Mm-hmm. And I think Matthews may be one of the worst. Uh, nope. Uh, I can tell you that Austin Matthews is second best on the team at okay. turnover rate. He turns it over uh, less than 15% of the time. Best on the team, William Nylander. Nylander. Can you believe that? Is that not shocking? Well, so, yeah, I can believe that because I, I feel like he takes it away and doesn't turn it over that much. I feel yeah. like his like his takeaways, he's got to be high in the league, and I feel like, yeah, I can believe that. He's that that matches my team. eye test. The, the top four guys in terms of, uh, of that, Nylander, Marner, Matthews, Kerfoot. You're talking about turning over the puck? Yeah. In right. where, though? Where? Just all over, all the, over ice. the ice. All over the ice. So Nylander's the worst at turning no, so over no, the puck. No, he's the best. He's the best. He protects the puck best. Doesn't turn it over. He turns it over 13.5% of the time. Yeah. So the worst on the team. It has to be Tavares. Tavares is bad. He's, he's, uh, but he's not near the worst. He's, oh, he's not. No, he's, uh, at 18.2, but that's around what sort of the bottom guys in the team are. The worst on the team is. Nick Ritchie, 22% of the time. Oh, God, this guy. (laughs) Um, Second worst, Wayne Simmons, 20.5% of the time. And uh, third is a a bit of a surprise. Michael Bunting turns it over a lot. Yeah. Does it break it down in the zones? Yes. I don't have it in front of me, but they do have it uh, broken down that way if we want to pursue that information. That's interesting to me that, I mean, Ritchie, it feels like he barely has the puck. I know. That's that's not pretty yeah. to me. So yeah, Tavares was up there too. But so defensemen, um, should we do defensemen so too? So if you if you dump a puck in and a defenseman picks it up and Great has question. it clean out, that is a turnover. Great question. Yes, it is. So sport logic defines mm. it differently so than the you NHL. Gotta, you gotta realize too that there that's that's fourth the, line. That's the Dumping objective. It in, getting it in deep. Right, they're not yep. guys that are gonna Hold on to the puck. Right. They're not going to regroup. Right. They're not going to give and go. Their thought is, if I got the red line, this is a I'll, great just, point, I'll just get it in safe. And a lot of them, boys, I'm telling you right now, are off line changes too. Yeah. The good thing is that the way Sport Logic does it, which is they just define it as a change of possession, so there are some definite yes. dump-ins and chip-ins and yeah. stuff like that. Um, but the numbers are high enough. Like the Leafs, 
their turnovers per game as a team is like 111. That's how often the puck changes hands. So, you you know, even guys that, you know, we're talking about, like Richie turns it over about five times a game. So you can't say one or two dumpins is the reason his numbers are bad. But you're, 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 you're trying to compare those turnovers to everybody's turnovers. And they're that's, definitely different. That's not fair yeah. when you talk about uh, the different roles that these guys are playing. I think very that's good very, point. That's very, very fair. Point. So uh, defensemen, actually, that might be good, ta- good context for us here, too. But defensemen, um, these numbers are different than they have been for the previous years for the Leafs, which are interesting. But it does re- reflect some poor play. Should I just go ahead and give you the names or do you want to guess? Mm. Let's have a guess. Give me the best and worst of, of these well, seven Leafs. Team. Again, Morgan Riley's on the ice 26, 27 minutes a night. You would think that that number would be high. Best on the team, yeah. Morgan Riley. Forwards and D combined. He's the most, um, I, what would you say, conservative, efficient. efficient with the puck. He does not, he, he, only 11.6% of the time his touches lead to the other team getting it next. That's worth a lot and of money. he has it most on the team including austin matthews uh ozone possession or sorry uh full ice possession that's has wor- the puck the most doesn't there's your 7.5 that's million. how you end up rich that's that is worth a lot of money if it i'm is. a general manager of a hockey team that is incredibly important to me that my top defenseman is like that well then how about your second highest paid guy jake muzzin is the worst that does not surprise me in the least through this season yeah. 18.2% is his turnover what's, rate. What's really Paul's right behind him. He is right behind him. 17.5 <laughs> second worst. Not. <laughs> so what's Lilligren looking like? Lilligren is pretty high. He's uh, 14.7. So um, the best on the team are Riley, Sandine, and Brody. Those are, those are your best. Yeah. You don't have to be Sherlock Holmes to figure that out. <laughs> That's great It is stuff. nice to have the confirmation, though, right? That's great stuff. Yeah, I think so. boy. Way to go, Sport Logic. Thanks, Sport Logic. And thanks, Borny, for making it nice and palatable for us. I did my best. So it's Friday. You got any mean tweets or anything like that? I got some texts. People are interested to get in here. Um, this is a funny one from Patrick in Saskatoon about McDavid. Uh, texts in a lot. We appreciate it. The best was after Buddy, Trip McDavid. <laughs> he, almost, he almost gave himself whiplash checking out the ref to see if he got away with it. Also funny how guys like Tom Wilson and Kadri have drawn way more penalties than McDavid this year. Yeah, there's something to that, isn't it? You know, that these guys that are greasy and they take... It's a, it's a bit of an art. It is. Like Bunting, I don't know how many he's drawn this year, but it's got to be the most on the Leafs, I'd I would like imagine. To see, I'd like to see uh, more consistency in him. Bunting in, yeah, in that regard. Even trying to get under guys' skin mm-hmm. a little bit more. We saw it early. But, I, you know, I think it's pretty tiring to do that every night. You know, that there's a reason that guy is called do- work. I know. Sammy. I know. And that's maybe why he makes 900K Tired. as opposed to 5 million. Yeah. I get it, though. Like about getting up to do it every night. Sounds like it was a he, thing that Kipper did well, though. So we probably can't. He was doing it for the first four or five games. He was every night. He was in the middle of everything. And then that's kind of t- maybe it's his line mates who he's playing with now. Maybe it's a different role. But like he was really in the fight every game to start the season. I think that's died down a little bit. Yeah. There's no doubt about that. I'm trying to track down penalties drawn on the season here. All right. Some guys are really good at it, though. Here we go. Penalties drawn on the season for the Leafs. The three best on the team, Nylander, Bunting, and Engvall. Engvall? I know. Wow. Should we tell Shelton that? <laughs> we got right? a plus for your boy Pierre. Can you go pat him on the back? We found something positive for <laughs> yeah. you. Engvall's listening right now. He's like, can you, can you guys please take that to Shelton? <laughs> <laughs> He's getting his agent to cliff it. <laughs> three right. guys on the Leafs this season have not drawn a penalty who play regularly. Nick Ritchie, Travis Dermott, and Austin Matthews. Really? 
hasn't drawn a penalty this season for the Toronto Maple Leafs. I think Richie should get somebody to grab his helmet and throw it. <laughs> you think so? That was a bad penalty. It was terrible. Not, good. not a smart play. But that was Sheldon the rap on him. Like that one. Like his 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 penalty differential has always been. He's always taken stupid penalties throughout yeah. his career. So that was that was kind of the rap. How on him. has nobody nobody tried to grab Austin Matthews and hook him, pull him down? Trip him accidentally. I actually think this speaks a little bit to a guy who's been a bit less effective than you hoped he would be. He's not really... His best game was Still his, his first, day first back. game yep. back against the New York Rangers. This is this guy's trend, by the way. You know, first game of the season, he scores four as a rookie. You know, And then but... just fades. <laughs> yeah, and then he, then, oh, what, yeah. what do you do after that? Nothing. I can't remember a thing he did after he scored four yeah, against yeah. Ottawa. But he's always good when he comes back. But right. So he's been lacking a little bit. Quick one here. Hey, Nick. Sorry, Borny. Oh, man. We all listen at the Canada Post station, and we want your opinion. Is Patrick Marlowe a Hall of Famer? Thanks, Anthony. Yes? Y- yes. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. come on. Look at the longevity. 100%. Look at uh, internationally. He's fine there. Olympic, there He's fine. Olympic golds, and I do think there's some value in, as you said, longevity. You play, you play, you play. But this is not for me to weigh in, and I apologize to the... You can weigh in. Line. On our show, you <laughs> can weigh in, my friend. Thanks, friend. Hey, great week, guys. Good stuff. We did it again. Two wins for the Leafs this weekend, boys. There you go. All right. Thanks, everybody. Enjoy your Hall of Fame weekend.